Tuesday edition of PFTPM creeping closer and closer toward the start of the postseason just four days away with the two games on Saturday, three on Sunday, one on Monday night for Wild Card Weekend. Of course, it is no longer Wild Card Weekend. Shereen Williams, we must get it right. It is Super Wild Card Week Weekend. And when they <laughs> add two more teams, it will become Super Duper Wild Card Weekend. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? Good. I was telling you earlier, I'm tired, and your quote yeah. was, we are just old. So <laughs> I'm glad you included <laughs> yourself in that. Maybe that's uh-huh. it. M- maybe it takes like two days for the stayed up way too late Sunday night watching the overtime classic and being excited about it, not being able to sleep to really kick in. But I was really tired today. I watched all of the college football championship. I'm surprised that game didn't take five hours. I And... You know, for as boring as it was for three quarters, it was exciting at the end. I enjoyed watching that. Yeah, the fourth quarter was good. The first half, it was a snooze fest, nine to six. And I'm thinking, compared to Sunday night, this just doesn't match it. But then we got a little excitement late. Well, as you can possibly tell, my forehead is glistening, which means I got my workout in before the show. And once again, the shower, like it did for Costanza, did not take. So hopefully that will calm down. I'm not nervous or anything like that, or at least no more nervous than usual, which when you get too relaxed is when you start dropping F-bombs. We'll try not to do that today. The first F-bomb we will drop, though, is Flores, a.k.a. B-Flow, a.k.a. Brian Flores, the former Dolphins head coach who is now available to be interviewed and hired by anyone, no permission necessary because he is as unemployed by an NFL team as we are, Shireen. We'll interview with the Bears, 24-25 and 25 in his three seasons with Miami, but for the first time in 19 years, the Dolphins had back-to-back winning records, and they swept the New England Patriots last year. His reward is he got fired. Uh, hey, I, I think everyone with a vacancy, other than the Dolphins, should interview Brian Flores, and something Sims and I were talking about earlier today, if I'm an owner that had decided to stick with the coach that I currently have before I found out that Brian Flores was available. Maybe I'm revisiting my plan now if I think I could swap my current coach for Brian Flores. And I mentioned the Texans. Maybe that's a possibility for them, Mike, that that they go that direction. We know the New England ties that they have, and perhaps they had Josh McDaniels in mind, but maybe Brian Flores changes their thinking now that he's available. Maybe they would go that route. We don't know what Jack Easterby thinks of Brian Flores, but that would seem to be a natural place for Brian Flores to, to fit in. But that's absolutely true. You know, you, you don't want to change a coach unless you think you're upgrading at that. You're upgrading your coach. You just you don't do it. And there are some teams out there that obviously he would be an upgrade for, not just the Bears, but other other teams as well. And you have a sample size to look at, to back-to-back winning records with not great quarterback play over the last two seasons. So I think he's somebody that a lot of these teams should look at for sure. And it creates a delicate situation because you would be content to keep the guy you have if you can't get Brian Flores, if you know you're getting Brian Flores, then you do the swap. So is Brian Flores, and, you know, some of it may be detached from him. It may be something that is handled through the agent who becomes the buffer here, the wink nod, the hypothetically, if this job were offered for X amount of money and Y amount of years and these terms and elsewhere, 
or, or what else or whatever else. I'm starting to sound like Sims now. But all of the various details, <laughs> hypothetically, if they would be available, would Brian Flores take that job? And then if you can thread that needle, you fire the coach, you do your search, you hire Brian Flores. Hey, stuff like that happens. But it does create an awkward spot because from Brian, Brian Flores' perspective, he's getting someone fired. He's getting someone who otherwise would have kept his current job out of a job because that owner is willing to fire that coach to hire Brian Flores. But again, those kinds of backroom conversations happen all the time. And my point is just, quite simply, the owners who were making their plans about what to do with their current head coaches had an idea of who would be available in mind. Then circumstances changed Monday just after 9 a.m. Eastern when Brian Flores became available. And that should compel anyone who was at least thinking about it to think about it again and wonder, do I want to try to do this and make this happen? Am I sufficiently ambivalent about my current coach that I'd be willing to to try to do this? And, and we just don't know. We don't know because all that stuff happens behind the scenes. Maybe they think about it. Maybe they talk about it. And maybe all of a sudden they do it. Well, and guess what, Mike? There doesn't need to be a coaching search if you're high in Brian Flores. You could just do that behind the scenes and say, hey, if if we had our job come open, would this contract be good? And basically verbally agree to something. And boom, he's hired because you've obviously met the Rooney rule uh, rules. So you could hire him right away and there would need to be no coaching search, nothing public. You just do it and swap one coach with the other and fire one and hire the other. And you do it within a day and it's all done and, and it's finished. So it would be a relatively easy thing to do if you get him to agree to a deal. And see, if I'm the league office, on one hand, it's great because they are promoting as they should diversity in the interview process and in the hiring process because statistically the numbers scream out that that there hasn't been a fair and equal hiring approach by NFL teams over the years but if that would happen it does kind of prove that things like that happen that owners decide who they want before they do the interviews and the interviews in many cases are just an exercise in checking boxes and complying with policy before you hire the guy that you were going to hire anyway and if I'm the league I would prefer that there be a search for every opening regardless of of who the owner has in mind because through the process of conducting the search you either confirm what you're thinking or you do ultimately change your mind and the one most notable situation where a mind was changed was frankly with the Steelers in 2007. They were ready to hire Russ Grimm and they changed their mind and they hired Mike Tomlin instead as a result of doing a fully compliant search and doing justice to the the name or the rule, excuse me, that is named after the late Dan Rooney. But uh, and, and the other thing with the Bears, hey, if the GM is going to run the show in Chicago, I don't know why they are interviewing coaches right. first. And maybe they decide to hire a coach who's going to be in charge of the football operation. Maybe they're going to reconfigure. You know, nothing's set in stone. The way George McCaskey, the chairman of the Bears, explained it yesterday, Shireen, the GM is still in charge of the football operation and will report directly to George McCaskey with the coach reporting to the GM. They could, they could decide to make the coach the person who's in charge of the football operation and the GM reports to him or two separate tracks directly to George McCaskey. But it just seems clunky. And, and the Bears have been getting killed in Chicago and beyond 
for the George McCaskey press conference yesterday, even though they cleaned house. Ted Phillips is still involved. Bill Polian is involved. Some of George McCaskey's answers weren't sufficiently convincing for the local fans and media. And this idea of the GM is going to be in charge, but we're going to interview Brian Flores and other coaches before we have a GM. I, 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 I just don't think that makes a whole lot of sense unless you're willing to say, hey, Brian Flores, you're in charge of the football operation. Maybe that's what he should hold out for before he becomes a coach again. Because look at what happened to him in Miami when he wasn't in charge of the football operation. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. And it, it doesn't make sense when you have both openings and you're interviewing coaches at the same time as you're trying to hire a GM. I mean, the GM's got to have a say on the coach. They've got to be in line there unless you're given the coach those full powers to have say over everything that happens within the organization. But I'm going to be surprised if the Bears hire Brian Flores simply from the fact to me, they need an offensive coach. I mean, their offense is just pathetic. 24th this year in offense, 27th in points, and they just haven't been very good. They weren't good over the last four years, 20s in yards, and they ranked as high as ninth once in the last four years in points, but in the 20s the rest of the time. But that offense just has to get better. And to me, you look at the offensive side of the ball if you're the Bears. I think Brian Flores is a very good coach. He had four offensive coordinators in Miami. I would tend, if I'm the Bears, to lean toward the offensive side of the ball, just knowing that's where my, where I, my team needed the most help. And I'm reminded of something I said last year, and I'm sure I said it the year before that, given the trend toward hiring offensive yep. coordinators, if you hire a defensive-minded coach and you have success, you have to get ready to replace your offensive coordinator because he's going to become a head coach for another team. Whereas if you have an offensive coordinator who becomes your coach and your team does well, you may have Dennis Allen, his name still hasn't come up and and his team's not even in the playoffs isn't that amazing Dennis Allen's name still has not come up what more does Dennis Allen have to do than shut out Tom Brady when he's both defensive coordinator and head coach for a game when Sean COVID or Sean COVID when Sean COVID is out with Peyton (laughs) or Sean Peyton is out with COVID or Peyton COVID is out with Sean take your pick we've got all bases covered but when Sean Payton's out with COVID and, and Dennis Allen leads the way to that 9 nothing victory, what the hell? Yeah. I mean, seriously, folks, what the hell? All the usual suspects' names are coming up. What did Dennis Allen do that I'm not aware of? I haven't heard anything. Shereen, have you heard anything? No, I don't want us to get sued or anything. But, no. I mean, I, we're aware of no reason nothing. why Dennis Allen should not be considered. None. Yeah, no. And I think he got one phone call in the last hiring cycle, and, and it was, you know, it wasn't a real call. I mean, I, he interviewed for the job, but he wasn't a real candidate. I can't even remember what team it was. But he deserves more consideration, no doubt about it. You can't hold those Raiders years against him based on what the Raiders were at that time. I mean, you just can't. He needs another opportunity to be a head coach. I think he'd be very good. The ironic part of this, if we know how to use ironic or not, Mike, we always skip over that. But Aaron Glenn has, has gotten some interview requests from the Lions as defensive coordinator. And guess what? He trained under Dennis Allen. It's it's just bizarre to me, and and I, I I struggle during this time of the year to not 
do anything that would create the impression that we are rooting for certain candidates. If we have genuinely and authentically developed opinions, like Rich Bisaccia should should be the head coach of the Raiders after what he accomplished this year and after what happened on Sunday night, it would be foolish to not elevate him to that job. You know, there are certain opinions that we feel so strongly we're not going to stifle, but there's a line there. I don't want to ever be perceived like some of these other reporters are as trying to position certain candidates for future access purposes. I don't want to play that game. But, and I don't know Dennis Allen from Adam. I've interviewed him a couple of times back when he was the Raiders coach. It's been years. Haven't had any communication with him in years. It's just astounding to me that someone with his track record isn't getting interviewed. I'm not saying get hired. I'm just saying that it is glaring that Dennis Allen isn't getting an interview, and I probably need to write that if I remember to write it. This is one of those crazy times of year, too, Shereen. You have to keep a list of everything you want to yeah. get to because it's impossible to remember everything. But that is one that, that somebody needs to, to just wave that flag and say, what the hell? What the hell? Why isn't he getting his name mentioned for a single interview, especially because he's not dragged down by that reality that you have to wait and you have to wait and you have to wait until his team loses in the playoffs. He's available right now. Um, now. Also, Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn not available right now. Could be available after this weekend if the 49ers lose to the Cowboys in the postseason. But Dan Quinn uh, could be interviewed by the Dolphins. They've requested permission to interview him. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not taking that Dolphins job if I got options anywhere else. And if I'm Dan Quinn, just like with Brian Flores, just like anybody who's been a head coach before and has been fired, you got two shots. And I'm not making my second shot that dysfunctional mess that is the Miami Dolphins. All due respect, too late for that. I'm not doing it. I'm not signing on. I'm not stepping into the same spot that Brian Flores was in where if I just focus on my job and coach the team, I have to worry about people running to the owner and whispering in his ear during the games and undermining me and second-guessing me and blaming things on me. And the next thing you know, I'm the one that's out of a job when, when I'm the one that is least to blame for the mess. And you can't even call it a mess. They, were, they had a winning record for back-to-back years. So if I'm Dan Quinn, yeah. hey, I welcome the opportunity to interview, but I'm not taking that job unless my list of demands regarding who's in charge, who reports to whom, and how this all works will be properly met. Doesn't Dan Quinn make perfect sense for Seattle? And I'm not saying this year because it does look like Pete Carroll's coming back, but at some point he does, to me, look like the successor uh, to Pete Carroll in Seattle. He knows that place so well. Uh, But who knows how long that is and is he willing to wait that long for an, an opening that he would really want but as you said Mike he's got to pick carefully because this is probably his last chance to get it right and if he picks the wrong team this time he could be out in two years and he never gets another opportunity to be a head coach the last year for Baker Mayfield under contract with the Cleveland Browns is approaching it's the hot topic in Cleveland and around the league we're trying to figure out what's going to happen this would be a great time for the Browns frankly to try to buy low at a time when Mayfield has had a year in which he regressed a year in which he was injured but it sounds like the Browns at least for now are willing to wait but don't just take it from me as if you ever would here's Browns general manager Andrew Barry talking earlier today about Baker Mayfield's contract situation are you comfortable playing Baker in 2022 without a new contract? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty comfortable. We have a, a lot of guys that, you know, will have gone into their final year or something along those lines. I mean, that that's not something that really goes into the to the calculus for us. There, every year you'll have guys that are on expiring deals. 
lame duck quarterback? Is it uncomfortable? Yeah, I, I don't know that I would categorize it that way, Tony. I mean, again, you have a number of players across positions that are entering the final years of their deal. So um, that's not that's not something that's really top of mind for me. I think the reality of it is any of us who work in the NFL, every year's a, every year's a prove it year. Um, to the contract question in general, Dan, I think you guys probably know me well enough that I kind of march the beat of my own drum in terms of whatever contract precedents are out there. So we'll deal with each situation on an individual basis. See, Andrew Barry is a tough one to read. And like so many of his colleagues, whether it's general managers or coaches, players, owners, whatever, he's not going to share with you his innermost thoughts. Because if he shares with you his innermost thoughts, it may create problems. For example, we heard from Andrew Barry last offseason talking about the Carson Wentz and Jared Goff contracts. Are they cautionary tales for what the Browns at the time were potentially facing? And he poo-pooed that. Well, Baker Mayfield ended up not getting a contract because I think those deals are cautionary tales and I think one of the reasons why they are content to let their starting quarterback their supposed franchise quarterback enter the final year of his rookie contract with no guarantees or commitments beyond 2022 is they they don't want to find themselves in a spot where they have committed significant guaranteed money to Baker Mayfield and have no way out they're willing Shireen in my assessment to risk the possibility of Mayfield having a great season and then having a ton of leverage over them moving into 2023 over signing him to a long-term big-money deal now, even if they could get him at less than what he would otherwise command if he'd had a great year, if they'd still be in the playoffs, for example. He'd have more leverage. He could command more money. They could get him for less. They don't want to make that commitment for fear of what happened last year, not being an aberration, but being basically a trend. So that's the truth. And the idea that they have plenty of players entering the final year of the contract. Well, this is your starting quarterback. It's different. Everybody's on a prove-it year or prove-it deal every year. No, with your starting quarterback, who's your franchise year-in and year-out guy, he's not on a prove-it deal every year. Yeah, if he falls off the cliff one year, the next year you may want to think twice. For the most part, franchise quarterbacks reach a level of performance that you can rely on and count on year-in and year-out. And that in and of itself is reason for the Browns to have concerns about Baker Mayfield because a true franchise quarterback always has a good year a true franchise quarterback never has that horrific regression and a true franchise quarterback is a guy you happily pay that 40 to 45 million dollars a year to so i just think the browns uh number one are going to consider all options even if they don't admit it and number two at a bare minimum they're going to play wait and see and if mayfield has a great year they'll they'll consider that a good problem to have well, and I was just going to ask you, Mike, are you convinced that he's going to be the starting quarterback of the Browns in 2022? If they don't sign him to a long-term deal, that allows them to look around and see what's out there and maybe upgrade at the position if they get a chance to do that. When you look at what he did, his passer rating, his passer rating was a, a better than only Fields, Darnold, Lawrence, and Wilson. Three of those guys were rookie quarterbacks. He was not good, and you have to factor in – how much of it was the shoulder? How much of it was the knee? How much of it was the other problems that he had this year? And how much of it was just a regression? And so to me, if you're the Browns, I'm not sold on him being my franchise quarterback. I'm not even sold on him being my quarterback going into the 2022 season. I want to see what's out there for me for to possibly upgrade to. And if you sign him to a long-term deal, Mike, you're locked into him. 
There was the very predictable report from NFL media over the weekend that the Browns plan to enter 2022 with Baker Mayfield as the starting quarterback. I put zero weight or credence into that. We wrote something about that on Sunday at PFT because, look, it would be foolish to make a conclusive decision at this point. And it would be foolish not to consider your options. And it would be foolish, frankly, to make it clear that you're trying to trade Baker Mayfield. There's a subtlety, there's a nuance when it comes to negotiating with anything. And if you have a for sale sign plastered to the Baker Mayfield contract, you're going to get less for him. You're a motivated seller at that point. If you can convince the media conglomerate that you partially own to push your version of the narrative, which is he's our starting quarterback, then maybe you get someone who is looking to upgrade a quarterback to call you. And trust me, in any negotiation, whatever it is, the person who initiates the conversation necessarily operates at a position of weakness because they're the ones who initiate the process of changing the status quo. And the one who took the call, they don't, you know, well, you called me. I, hey, we're, we're fine. We're not, we're not looking to trade Baker Mayfield. He's a starter. Now, if you want to make us an offer, we'll consider your offer like we would for any other player who's under contract. But Baker Mayfield is our starter. That's the attitude you need to have in order to do the best possible deal. You know, every time that I buy a car, I go into it with the attitude that I really don't care and I really don't want it. And once I sell the, the, the guy trying to sell me the car on the idea that I really don't care and I really don't want it, that's when I get my best deal. And that's what you have to do. So I, I shouldn't be saying that out loud. That, that only applies to all cars I've already purchased. In the future, anything I say <laughs> to any salespeople uh-huh. is the absolute truth, and it's not aimed at getting the best possible deal. I really will walk out this door right now. <laughs> That's funny, Mike, because I waited six months for mine. I did just that in my last car purchase over the summer. But that's what the Browns need to do. I mean, they need to wait out and see what's out there, see who's available. The last two offseason have just presented so many quarterback opportunities, and we don't know what this one's going to hold. Who's going to become available? We know Deshaun Watson's going to be up for grabs, but beyond that, we don't know who's going to be available in the trade market. So I think they just sit tight and they see what's out there and try to figure out if they want Baker Mayfield as their starting quarterback in 2022, ride with him one more year, see what he does, gamble that he has a great year. If he has a great year, you're okay paying him. You're like, okay, we found our franchise quarterback. He did it. He played really well. But they have no division titles, one playoff win with Baker as their quarterback. That, to me, is just not good enough at this point. If he does go back as the quarterback of the Browns in 2022, he absolutely is a lame-duck quarterback in a prove-it year. And I realize what Andrew Berry said is true. Every year is a prove-it year. I get that. But when you're in the final year of your contract, it's really a prove-it deal. The Indianapolis Colts last year gave up a third-round pick and what has now become a first-round pick because of Carson Wentz's playing time to get him away from the Eagles at a time when he wanted out and the Eagles were ready to move on. Now maybe the Colts already uh, prepared to move on from Wentz. Here's Frank Reich from earlier today talking about Carson Wentz's status for 2022. I know it's the day after the season. But as you sit there right now, do you expect Carson Wentz to be your quarterback in 2022? As far as Carson, again, I, I mentioned this the other day, just with individuals. Um, we love the team we had this year. We knew everyone we brought in this year. Uh, we expected to play winning football. Next year's roster will be next year's roster. 
um, I'm not going to evaluate or talk about any. I don't want to just open it up with one player and then start talking about all of them. So, now, Can you imagine Andy Reid saying that about Patrick Mahomes? Can, can you imagine the, the Packers saying that about yeah. Aaron Rodgers? I mean, you know, I, you, you know a true franchise quarterback when – that isn't the answer to the question. When that's the answer to the question, you're on shaky ground and you may ultimately be supplanted. And uh, uh, who knows what the Colts are going to do with Carson Wentz. But we saw it. We saw it. Hey, they rolled the dice yeah. and, and it came up seven. Or whenever seven is bad, that's what it came up. Sometimes seven is good. Sometimes seven is bad. It came up seven is bad for the Colts and Carson Wentz. You just can't trust him. They had a great roster. They had Jonathan Taylor having an MVP caliber season, and they just ultimately couldn't trust Carson Wentz. And I also can't help but wonder, Shereen, for the teams that had the the reluctant anti-vax quarterbacks who were the team leaders, I just can't help but wonder what kind of problems that created behind the scenes and whether or not for the teams where – you know, the quarterbacks just aren't good enough and they don't have the investment made. Is that going to be a factor in washing their hands of a guy who contributed to whatever dysfunction may have kept a team from being everything it could have been? I, I just can't, I can't help but wonder whether or not for some of these teams it's going to stick in the craw of management that the guy they paid all that money to, the guy that they made the leader of the team, didn't exercise true leadership that they needed to make sure everybody was going to be available for as many games as possible. Well, and if you're going to do that, you better be really good like like Aaron Rodgers was. But there's a team that other teams in the NFL might can say, hey, welcome to the quarterback situation that most teams have, right? If you look at them, Peyton, they went from Peyton Manning to one year of bad to Andrew Luck with the number one overall pick. I mean, they were very fortunate to, to go from basically Manning to Luck with no real quarterback search in there, and then Luck retired on them uh, at the last minute before the start uh, of the season. And since then, they've had bridge quarterbacks. They've gone Jacoby Brissett and Brian Hoyer to Phillip Rivers to Wentz, and now they may go somewhere else Next season, this is what most teams go through when their franchise quarterback retires, moves on, traded, leaves as a free agent, whatever the case may be. This is what most teams go through. They don't go straight from Peyton Manning one bad year to Andrew Luck uh, like the Colts did. So they're kind of living out what the rest of the NFL has long lived out. And some of those teams are still looking for that franchise quarterback years and years and years after their franchise quarterback moved on. And to their credit, the Colts are at least trying. They did the year with Phillip Rivers. He took them to the playoffs. They gave the Bills everything they could handle in the wild card round. And they tried. They gave it a shot with Carson Wentz. And maybe they decide to give it a shot again. I don't know. I mean, he didn't say no. But I think in a situation like that, if you don't say yes, there's a pretty good chance the answer ultimately is no. All right. The AP votes have been cast. The deadline was earlier today. Shereen Williams has one of the 50 votes. Hub Arkish still does as well. Would it be a travesty if someone not named Aaron Rodgers, specifically Tom Brady, fails to win the MVP award? We'll discuss that next, hopefully without Shereen getting herself in trouble by disclosing her vote because they're not allowed to do that. More PFTPM right after this. We'll tear up the outline. We'll talk about MVP later. Joe Judge joins the list of former 
NFL head coaches. Yes, the Giants have done it again. Two years minus one game with Ben McAdoo. Two years with Pat Shermer. And now, according to NFL media, Joe Judge is out as the head coach of the New York Giants. Further proof that the organization doesn't know what the hell it's doing right now. They were trying to set it up as they'll hire a general manager and the general manager will make the decision about Joe Judge. I think the Maras didn't want to be the ones who were were perceived as making the call on Judge. We're going to delegate it to the GM. It, 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 something apparently has happened. Maybe in the meetings over the past two days, Joe Judge was as unhinged as he was at his press conference last Sunday and Monday, and then he had that reverse flying wedge formation on third and nine from about the five-yard line. Just cooked his goose. Bad optics, and out he goes, Shireen. Surprising but not surprising. We thought he was safe. It was just two weeks ago, Shefty told us all that Joe Judge is safe. Joe Judge, not safe. Joe Judge, out. Giants in the market for a new head coach. Who knows? Maybe Brian Flores. Yeah, that would be a possibility for them for sure, I would think. But he went 6-10 and 10 and 4-13 and 13 in his two seasons. And it, it, you're right, it's not a surprise, but it's a surprise as much as they've changed coaches over recent years. I know they wanted to, in this hire to be longer than two years, but it didn't work out for them. And now the GM hopefully dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things as we've heard you say many times so hopefully though that they have a pairing of a GM and a coach who can work together in that and that the GM will get to hire the head coach that's usually how it works unless you're hiring a head coach who gets to call his own shots but whatever they decide to do they need to get this one right Mike it's been a long time since they've been contenders they need to get it right. And I'd still wonder, Mike, whether Joe Judge wanted to be there just based on what he did, the two things he did with the clown organization press conference that went 11 minutes uh, after the Week 17 game and then followed up on that on Monday, as you said, and then, and then the weird quarterback sneak play down there on third and nine. Just, just a very strange set of circumstances that have played out over the last two weeks. So it made me wonder whether he wanted to be fired. And if he did, he got his wish. He's gone. But, but Shireen, we, we can joke about that, and I have joked about that, that basically he should have just driven around in the parking lot with – four Lombardi trophies tied to the back of his bumper like Costanza when he tried to get fired by the Yankees so he could go to the Mets. The, the problem is if he was either trying to get fired or didn't care anymore, he made himself look like an idiot on the way out the door. That is going to stick with him. And the 11-minute rant from after the Week 17 loss is going to stick with him. The reverse flying wedge in yeah you know goal line on your own end setting to make no you know none of that that's that's not going away so you know to the extent that we were saying earlier for brian flores you get two shots for dan quinn you get two shots i don't think joe judge is going to get another shot i think joe judge did enough in two years with the giants that he's going to get the ben mcadoo treatment where he just fades into mike tyson-esque bolivian and never is heard from again other than as an assistant coach you know freddie kitchens out the kind of guy that is not going to create the same buzz that we have from Brian Flores case in point Brian Flores hey whoa he's going to be a head coach again somewhere no one's going to say Joe Judge is going to be a head coach again somewhere I think he's done I think it's over maybe he goes back to New England and just stays there I don't know 
but it was a disaster for everyone involved. And it just shows that ownership in New York, and and I I struggle with this, because on one hand, I say ownership needs to be in the building every day to provide the right atmosphere and attitude and accountability, but also you need to trust your football people to make the football decisions. See, in, in, in New York, they go too far. They're there, they're too involved, and they micromanage their front office, and, and they're making bad decisions about who they're entrusting the key jobs to, from McAdoo to Shermer to Judge. So, you know, they, they need to just step back and step off and, and ideally hire a general manager that they really do trust that they really believe is competent, who will come in and make a good hire, and they need to give it some time. You know, they, they, yeah. I, I remember when they hired Judge two years ago, one of the things we heard from John Mara is, you know, we can't, you know, we can't be making these changes constantly. No, you can't. You have to give it some time. And the problem is the coaches are performing so poorly, after two years you, you don't have the luxury of time. They're so bad you have to get rid of them. Yeah, that that's it, Mike. I mean, because they haven't made the right hires. This one has to be right. And to me, it's an, we talked about offensive coaches, defensive coaches. He's a special teams coach. He'll go back to being a special teams coach somewhere. But the Giants need to go to the offensive side of the ball. They need to figure out how to improve that offense. They just haven't been good. Probably haven't gotten the quarterback position right. Who knows? We'll see what the future of Daniel Jones is, and that'll be based on the hire of the GM and the hire of the head coach. But this is a team that needs better quarterback play and needs an offensive guy to lead the way with this team because they haven't been very good on offense. I mean, you've just seen it, just terrible on offense. They've got to get better on the offensive side of the ball to compete. Um, I'm going to try to find the quotes from Mara from two years ago when they made it clear that and I think they tried to do it with a contract that had a significant buyout. And, you know, Joe Judge is going to get paid a decent amount of money to walk away. But the Giants need to figure this out now. And so they are looking both for a general manager and for a head coach. And uh, they are looking for the first playoff victory since they won the Super Bowl 10 years ago in Indianapolis. Let's go ahead and take a break. And uh, when we return, we'll figure out what we're going to talk about next because we had a wrench thrown into our Tuesday plan. We'll be back with something on PFTPM right after this. What were you thinking when you're watching that thing unfold and were you surprised they kicked the field goal to try to win? Um, I missed the end of it. I dozed off. Um, I knew I had a work day waiting on me, or I assumed that I had a work day uh, waiting on me. Um, I, I think at one point Oakland was up by 15 and that number made you somewhat comfortable. Um, I'm probably better off not having watched it. Uh, um, so it's probably not as exciting of a description as you, you would have hoped. Hey, you know, that's great. That's the right answer. There was some joking on Twitter that Ben Roethlisberger was asleep as the Raiders and the Chargers were playing in overtime with the Steelers' playoff fate tied to the avoidance of a tie. Mike Tomlin falls asleep. And when it was 29-14, to 14, it felt over. That's what made what happened down yeah. the stretch so exciting that the Chargers found a way to tie the game up, force overtime, and then go deep into overtime. But Mike Tomlin happy slash relieved when he woke up and found out that the Raiders had indeed won the game and happy that he didn't have to endure that experience of really thinking. And he would have thought, at one point late in overtime that Shireen, his team, was done, that it really did feel like it was migrating 
quickly toward a tie with both the Chargers and the Raiders getting in and the Steelers being out. Did you notice he said Oakland Raiders, though? He, he, he messed that up. He forgot they're in Las Vegas now. So Everybody but. does that. Everybody does that. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. But, but we he should was, just call them the Oakland Raiders. Would, they, should, they should just be you know, the they should just be known as the Oakland Raiders. Just call them the Oakland Raiders. They play in Las Vegas, but they're the Oakland Raiders. They'll always be the Oakland Raiders. It just sounds right. They should just call them the Oakland Raiders. You know, they're going to have the USFL, and they're going to play all of the games in one city, yeah. and the eight teams are going to carry the names of other cities. Why not just call them the yeah. Oakland Raiders? I'd never thought of that before. But who cares if their, yeah. their home games are in Las Vegas? They're still the Oakland Raiders. And you don't think of them as the Los Angeles Raiders, and yet they splint, spent plenty of time in Los Angeles. We do think of them as the Oakland Raiders, and I have to catch myself every once in a while that, no, they don't play there anymore. They're Las Vegas Raiders. Well, the Raiders play in Cincinnati this weekend. The uh, Chargers obviously home for the season because they lost that game. The most disappointing team that missed the playoffs in 2021 is who, Shireen? Well, I'm going to go with the Chargers because I know Bill Parcells says you are what your record says you are, but the Chargers have better talent than what their record says they are. They should be in the postseason. Are you kidding me, Justin Herbert, the quarterback that you have and Justin Herbert, and you didn't make the postseason, fourth in offense, and you can't make the postseason? I, I just have a hard time figuring out, well, there's no, I don't have a hard time figuring out. I think Brandon Staley screwed it up against the Raiders, and I think he screwed it up against the Chiefs, and I think they would have won both of those games with better coaching decisions, and they would be in the postseason now. Yeah, I say the most disappointing team that didn't make the playoffs is the Vikings because, number one, the high-end yeah. analytics every other year. This was a year, odd number year, they make it, even number year they don't. It had held for like five years, six years. It fell apart this year. But all the investment that they made in Kirk Cousins, the talent they have on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive coach that they used to have in Mike Zimmer, it should have worked. And they had all those games where they led and they blew the leads. I think it was a horrible indictment of the organization that the Vikings failed to make it to the playoffs. And it's one of the reasons why both Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman were politely asked to gather their things and vacate the premises on Monday by ownership because they were expected to make it to the playoffs in uh, the 2021 season. How about this? The most impressive team that didn't get into the playoff field in 2021. Who would you pick there? Well, I'm going to go with the Dolphins simply because of the way that they finished. They started out 1-7. and seven. A 1-7 and seven team had never made the postseason, and yet they're at the end of the season. If you can control your destiny, they did that. And, of course, they had the blowout loss to the Titans. I get it. But they won eight of their last nine. They didn't quit against the Patriots in Week 18. I just thought they played really well. And, and having a chance to go to the postseason after a 1-7 and seven start, I thought was pretty miraculous. Yeah, you know, I agree with you completely to have that seven-game winning streak and then to, to knock off the Patriots in a game where the Dolphins weren't playing for anything. Extremely impressive. This one is difficult for me, uh, but I'm going to say the Falcons. I don't think we expected the Falcons to be 7-10. and 10. I don't think I expected them to win four games. And for them to turn it around as quickly as they did with their cap situation, Arthur Smith keeping them in games. Now, when they lost, they lost badly. But they won close games. They beat teams they were supposed to beat. Yes, they did have some, some ugly losses, and I think they probably did give up more points than they, uh, than they scored. Uh, minus 146 was there. <laughs> Holy crap. They really did. When they <laughs> lost, they didn't mess around. 
but but yeah. I never expected them to win seven games, and I think it bodes well for the yeah. future for the Atlanta Falcons that they were able to win seven out of 17 games and still kind of be alive until the, the final two weekends of the season. Of the teams that missed the playoffs, the best coaching job was done by who, Shireen? Boy, there's some really good candidates for this. I'm going to go with John Harbaugh simply because of the injuries that they had. 17 players on injured reserve, just a who's who there. They lost their entire running backs room. They were just signing running backs off the street left and right the whole entire season. Of course, Lamar Jackson missed the final four games of the season, and yet there they were in playoff contention in Week 18. I just thought John Harbaugh did a terrific coaching job to have them in that situation on the verge of the playoffs in Week 18. Yeah, and I'm going with Sean Payton, the uh, uh, Saints head coach, the ability of that team to keep it together and, and stay as close to the playoffs as they, as they did. And really, if the 49ers don't pull off that win, down 17 nothing against the Rams. Saints are in. The Saints are in. And Trevor Simeon is the quarterback this weekend. So maybe it's good that the 49ers pulled it off the 49ers did us all a favor and the Saints a favor because uh it could have been like another Ian Book game although I will say this Trevor Simeon came into that game back in week eight in the Superdome against the Bucks, yep. and and won the game but I think what Sean Payton did with the cap issues the transition away from Drew Brees the absence of a high-end quarterback great great job by Sean Payton and even though they've got major cap issues for 2022 mickey loomis has done a good job of figuring those things out in the past and i i just as long as sean payton's with the saints and hopefully for the saints he'll be there for a long time they will continue to be relevant and competitive even in the years they don't make it to the playoffs they'll make it very interesting let's take a break uh, when we return we will bust open the mailbag and we'll get back to what we were planning to discuss before we were so rudely interrupted by the firing of joe judge potential travesty of tom brady not winning the mvp award we'll discuss that when pftpn continues right after this bruce uh make the succinct case for your quarterback as uh as the mvp of this league this season i think if if he doesn't get it it's a travesty i mean most completions ever 5,000 yards, touchdowns, the whole, the whole nine yards. I mean, I mean, to me, it's not even a, it's not even a close race. 5,000 yards, the whole nine yards. Dangerously close to a Simsism from Bruce Arians as he discusses <laughs> yeah. the case for Tom Brady to be the MVP. And, you know, we were talking about this today because we're doing the various awards at PFT. Not that anybody cares about ours. Ours aren't the official awards. The APs are. And we don't even have Hub Arkish voting on ours. Imagine that. But uh, sorry, I, I, I can't resist. Um, for Offensive Player of the Year, Tom Brady better fits that category. It's kind of like the you know the year that Drew yeah. Brees was Offensive Player of the uh, Player of the Year and not yeah. MVP. Brady's got the numbers. Brady's got great numbers, but I still think that Brady had more around him than Aaron Rodgers did, and I, I'm not suggesting that either team would have thrived without their starting quarterbacks. But we got to see what the Packers were that one week they didn't have Aaron Rodgers. Um, I don't, and and I, I, I don't think it's a travesty. I know Bruce Arians has to stick up for his guy. It's hardly a travesty if it's not Tom Brady, and it probably is going to be Aaron Rodgers. And obviously, Shireen, you cast your vote, and you can't talk about it until after the award is announced the night before the Super Bowl, by which time we won't care anymore. That's the one thing I don't like. Well, it's actually three <laughs> uh -huh. days before the Super Bowl. Maybe we'll still care on Thursday. Yeah. We wouldn't have cared by Saturday. But uh, – 
I, look, I, I think it's, a, it's not as easy of, of a call as, as maybe we thought, yeah. but it's, it's hardly a travesty if Tom Brady doesn't win it. Yeah, I think it's a two-man race between those two. I mean, you can make a case for Joe Burrow, of course, but I think the Rodgers are, are Brady. And, and I look, you could go either way. Flip a coin. They're both worthy of this award. I mean, Rodgers is first in passer rating and first in fewest interceptions. Brady had 43 touchdowns, he, but he did have 12 picks, over 5,000 yards. 13-3 and Rodgers was in his starts. Brady lost 12 uh, Brady won 12 games, but you know, they were both good flip a coin, either one that gets it. I, the over under, I'm going to set the over under on MVP votes for Rogers at 44, because that's what he got last year. Mike, would you go over that or under that out of well, 50? I'm going to go hmm, now. Hmm. I'm going to go over that. You know why I'm going to go over that? Because wow. there are going to be voters who may have been thinking about not voting for Aaron Rodgers, but they don't want to get the Hub Arkish treatment on the back end. And I think, frankly, what happened last week is going to cause some people who were close to not voting for Aaron Rodgers to just say, I'm going to go along with the herd here. So the guy who's worried about the woke mob coming after him doesn't have a woke mob unleashed on whoever didn't vote for Aaron Rodgers. I, I really do think that the Hub Arkish yeah. comments will help Aaron Rodgers get more votes than fewer votes. The Giants don't have to worry about any MVP candidates. They don't have anybody who would be in the conversation for any of this year's awards. We talked earlier about the firing of Joe Judge. John Mara has issued a statement as to what they will be doing and what he believes. Here's his quote. I said before the season started, I wanted to feel good about the direction we were headed when we played our last game of the season. Unfortunately, I cannot make that statement. I... This leads into the first question in the mailbag. And the first question in the mailbag yeah. came in before we knew about Joe Judge, Dr. J144, very loyal listener, viewer, whatever. Why is it taking so long for the Giants and the Texans to evaluate their coaches? The, the fact that the Giants had to take a full day to come to this conclusion in and of itself speaks of dysfunction to me. Don't you know after your final game, if you've been monitoring and, and watching and thinking and planning, don't you know what you're going to do by the time you get to the end of the season? Unless the Giants did a 180 after finding out that Brian Flores is available and they're going to go hire him quickly, it does seem odd that there was this one-day period of the Giants not knowing what they're going to do. Because, again, it gets back to optics. The same optics that flow from the 11-minute clown show yeah. press conference to the reverse flying wedge on third and nine to <laughs> letting this draw out for a day. It doesn't make any sense. They should have known yesterday. They should have known immediately after the season. And, and I really do think that ownership was trying to find a way to talk themselves into keeping Joe judge, but they, they just realized that they couldn't. And it could be if he was talking behind the scenes, the way that he had been talking publicly recently, he signed his own pink slip and they just came to the conclusion. We can't keep this guy around. He can't hold up under pressure and scrutiny. He's completely collapsing. This guy can't be our coach. 
It's so weird, Mike. I mean, they met with Joe Judge yesterday afternoon into the evening, and then came the NFL media report that we're not going to have any clarity on this situation today, and it's going to be the end of the week. And all of a sudden, we don't hear anything this morning. And then now this afternoon slash evening, we hear that Joe Judge has is fired. So what happened between the end of the season, the meeting, and now the decision to fire him? It's just it's it's weird. But, you know, it, it's just it's a dysfunctional organization. Once again, we go back to that and they do dysfunctional things, but you would think that they would have made up their mind at the end of the season. So something changed or they just decided on a whim that we're going to go fire him or they decided, as you said, Brian Flores is available. Let's go hire Brian Flores. Who, who knows, but I don't know that we're ever going to get the answer of what transpired between the end of the season, the meeting and the firing. Sometimes what happens when we're watching a game and there's a replay review, it's taking so long that it eventually dawns on <laughs> us. If it's taking this long, yeah. right? If it's taking this long, there yeah. isn't clear and obvious evidence to overturn it. And I wonder whether somebody in the organization decided this afternoon, hey, folks, if it's taken us this long to decide to keep this guy, that, that's our answer. If we don't yeah, immediately we know answer. after the season – we want to keep this guy and we have to have meetings and discussions and and reflection and consideration and more meetings and more discussion and more reflection and more consideration what are we doing that should not be how we feel about the coach of our team that that it's kind of like the reverse of selecting a pope where we have to go through this vetting process to just decide to keep the guy we've already hired so maybe they had that epiphany this afternoon and they decided we just have to move on and you know probably the right decision now the tough decision hiring a gm who will then hire a coach and what gm is going to want to step into a situation where there is real micromanagement of the general manager by multiple members of ownership multiple members of the mara family two of them with personnel titles who are actively involved they, they would be wise to take a step back the texans were part of that question too and shireen you you know david cully and we both kind of feel like maybe he was set up for one year to, ha to be the yeah. guy who, who is responsible for a horrible record uh, and then they fire him for somebody else. Whatever it is, they do need to let him and everyone else know at some point what they're going to do. I, I feel like he's in the same yeah, state of limbo that Joe Judge had been in. Yeah, and it's not fair to him. I mean, you should have made your decision by now. This wasn't a team that was competing for a playoff spot in Week 18. I mean, come on. You knew what they were throughout the season. They played hard to the end. You may have found your quarterback. You know whether you're moving on or not. So make a decision and let him know. And if you're firing him, certainly let him know that, that he's not going to be there next year. And to drag this out till the end of the week or whenever they're going to drag it out, is just it's not fair to him. Is today the 40-year anniversary of the catch game? Is it today? I'm not being a smartass. No, thanks for is bringing it today? Up. When is it? When is it? Yesterday. Is it today? Yesterday. Oh, it was yesterday. Oh, we, oh I should have brought it up yesterday. See, I was nice yesterday, and I didn't bring it up. So happy 40th anniversary. <laughs> Too much to talk plus about. A day. Well, and the question is, from A-Red Zone out, could Mike McCarthy be gone if the Cowboys lose to the 49ers this weekend, their first playoff matchup since 1994, and 40 years after the catch? What do you think, Shereen? You've been pushing Kellen Moore as the replacement to Mike McCarthy. If they crash and burn at home to the 49ers, do you think McCarthy could be out? 
Well, I just think back to when they let Sean Payton go, and, and if they waited another year, you know, they didn't know when Parcells was going to retire. I get it. So it's a little bit of a different situation. But I know what they think of Kellen Moore, and I know they want to keep him. So if they go one and done, I do think there's a possibility that could happen. And if all else fails, you sign Kellen Moore to the Jason Garrett-type contract where he's making yep, almost as much it. as McCarthy to get him to stick around and become the successor to McCarthy whenever McCarthy is gone. Speaking of gone, we are gone. That's it for this afternoon. We'll be back bright and early tomorrow morning with all the news, all the analysis, all the information on PFT Live. Have a great evening.